0: This is the eightieth episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhardt. With me as always are my dear co-hosts Robin Svensson and Christopher Wikström. Warm welcome to you, dearest listener.
1: Hello, hi, how do you do?
0: Howdy, hello. <laughs> Stockholm Legacy Report can be found whenever we release on the Top Deck app. In this episode, we will talk about paper play from last week, specifically the Sunday Legacy Tournament in which at least one of us did well, and all reps of the podcast had a lot of fun. Also, as this is episode 80, we take a look at the rise and perhaps the fall of the 80-card Legacy deck.
2: All right, so first up, Robin and Victor. You played in a Sunday Legacy tournament at our local game store Alpha Spiel. So I just I figured we'd go round by round and see how how you guys fared in this uh, dog eat dog world and metagame. Before we get into the round by round action, perhaps you would like to tell us what decks you played and uh, maybe why? Robin?
1: All right, super happy to not talk about my Thursday the debacle with 8-cast
2: <laughs> to <Same>. begin with. <laughs> I'm not gonna mention I played this first day as well, but let's just skip this
1: part. Yeah, it didn't happen Yeah, so like, I've been playing a little bit of 8-cast and unfortunately possibly have burned that deck <laughs> for the foreseeable future at our local game store. I got double meltdown and just felt like I couldn't bring melt, I couldn't bring 8-cast to the tournament. I received some cards that I have ordered 3 copies of Steely Resolve to play in some sort of MeritLage deck, it's the newest hot tech from the lands discord. I was debating on playing like the old trusty Naya depths, but I feel it's a little bit too too weak against the fast combo and also the initiative decks that are sort of occupying the meta. Therefore, I landed in, in sleeving up like an, an old Time favourite, the more turbo version of a depth deck. So I sleeved up rainbow depths. You know, rainbow depths is super good if you only have to fight one or possibly two axes and uh, you don't have to deal with others. And I thought that like if the initiative deck is, is big, then there's going to be a lot of swords to plowshares and uh, solitudes. So I that's the axis I need to fight. But they don't play wastelands, and some of the Delver decks they might cut. On uh, Brazen Borrowers, they might cut down to three wastelands and that kind of stuff to make room for Snuff Out, which is really good against the initiative, but is super bad against the Merit Leech. Uh,
2: just to add in, and some people are speculating on the new Delver card, the Spell Dancer, is that the Mercurial. Name? Yeah, which, which uh, seems very good, but uh, a lot of those decks are even talking about like uh, cutting wastelands exactly day, which is uh, very interesting and very good for you
1: yeah so i faced off against delver in one of the rounds i will come back to that later but my predictions were sort of true there i sleeved up a super turbo version with uh, i can go through the list and you will see that i have cut off a lot of the interaction against other things and just focused on preserving the Merit leech. This is a very clean version. So there's eight creatures. The, it's vampire hex mages and elvish spirit guides. And then there's four crop four sylvan scryings. And the sort of wasteland protection is two needles and two stifles. And then there's four thought seas and one the inquisition. So that's the only discard package in this deck and four not of this world and then there's mana base of lotus petals mana confluence gemstone mines that's four of each, and then of course four Urborg, four Tespian Stage, four Dark Depths. One Sergius Step, one Caracas, one Yavimaya Cradle of Growth to increase the turn two Meritages, of course. One Boyuka Bog, one Ghost Quarter to uh, initiate I- initiate a fight with the with the Wastelands, and then two Busaeus, and maybe you can play one Busaeus, but I was a little bit as- afraid of Painter decks. so that's why I brought in two.
2: All right, yeah, that's super cool, and we'll get into the to the matches, but Victor, would you like to tell us what you played?
0: Yes, I played an Old Trusty Black Red Reanimator, and a very stock list as of pre Phyrexia, but Heavy Discard leading list, so that's for the Creature Sweet for Grace brands, Four Grief, Three Archons. Uh, of cruelty and uh, one Sarah's emissary. And then it's also the four unmask and, and two thought So main deck 10 discard and then four rituals for entomb, for exhum, for lootings, for reanimate, for petals, for animated, 14 ants. One of which was an underground sea because I had the sideboard transformation plan of quadruple show and tell. And then just uh, silences, serenities, where Iona, and fairy macabre for the mirror and other random stuff in the board. Yeah, that's cool. And I went there because, I mean, for two reasons. It's the deck that I'm the least rusty with. And as said previously, I haven't played in a larger tournament for quite some time. So I wanted to go with something that I had, you know, felt pretty confident with what I'm doing. It's a deck that's sort of, sure, like, the cap of the power level of the deck is, of course, meta-dependent dependent in, in, in so far as how many people are bringing the main deck, hate of endurance and other things. But at the same time, this deck can just slap in any matchup and as we will discuss a bit later so uh, so yeah that's
2: why it's one of those decks that really at a tournament of this size there were 21 players of a tournament of this size you know it's not always clear how much sideboard hate people brought to battle especially if their focus is on initiative or stuff like that so it's always like you can, ha- you can have a super hot day with the deck and the meta uh, slash sideboards of the opponents can be just right. But also the opposite is true, of mm-hmm. course. If people are really scared of graveyard decks or Delver, uh, you know, we've seen Leyline of the Void out of the sideboard against Delver. It's not unheard of. So it can really make or break your weekend, but that's super cool. I really I really like whenever you talk about the 10 plus... Like 10 or more discard spells. I think that is so nasty in this deck. It's one of my favorite decks discards wise because it just shreds the opponent. And if you get that turn one Grizzlebrand in, just shredding the opponent's hand before passing is just a really nice way to win. So let's get into round one. Robin, you played against Jeskai Control.
1: Yeah, that was the first round. I should say just something about the, the sideboard as well. So, as I mentioned earlier, I had Steel Resolve for the Plow matchup. And I actually brought four Ley Lines of the Void and two Surgical Extractions.
2: Because I knew that... new Victor was coming. I
1: knew that Victor was coming. No, but I knew that if, if there's gonna be, like, combo decks at this tournament, it's going to be Reanimator and Cephalid Breakfast-esque decks. And I think there was very few combo decks that played, like, other... Sort of combo. No show and tell that I saw. No oh, storm no. that I saw. So it was correct edition. Yeah, I was up against Jeskai. And this a little bit of a brew list, I should say. With a lot of enchantment uh, synergies and that kind of stuff. I even think he plays Replenish to get some of them back. Which is really cool. But I had murder hands. Like turn one discard, turn two merit late. That kind of stuff. I don't really remember exactly... I think in, in game one it was turn two Merit Leitch, with... Like, I saw his hand, took a ponder, and then next turn I made a vampire hexmage and just made Merit Leitch. In the second game, I think I also had some sort of protection... But he, he, he drew a little bit cold, and uh, I had really fast hands, so it was over very fast, and I could go and scout the meta after that.
2: Yeah, that's uh, one of the benefits of this deck. Sometimes you just stomp your opponent for two really quick games, and you get to bring the binoculars out <laughs> and see what how the room is feeling.
1: Yeah, and I feel like those, those decks that fight me on the Swords to Plowshare ex- axis, they will have a rough time against five discard and... And four Not of This World and three steeler Resolves on top of that. It's really built to, yeah, that to is, beat sorts of cultures. That that's nasty.
2: I have, uh, speaking of Not of This World, I just have one super quick uh, question. Maybe you two know this is an Attrax, a Grand Unifier question. You get to pick out uh, like a lot of mm. different card types, and one of the card types is Battle. Is that
0: equivalent to Tribal? battle is a card type that's coming in the commander legends whatever it sets called. that's coming in august of this year i think then what that is it's going to be double-sided i hear beyond that i have no knowledge of this okay
2: so would you would you guess that atraxa gets gets to put a tribal card in your hand
1: yeah it it counts on golf so it should count on atraxa
2: yeah then it's pretty sick because then atraxa can hit not of this world which is an aldrazi tribal instant Mm.
1: which protects atraxa right yeah she has the power to enable it yeah oh Oh, wow
2: that is nasty but it's also like a potentially dead spell (laughs) for seven mana in your hand but okay cool so you got the w victor you played against
0: maverick That I did and I lost one too and I thought I was actually going to win this match (laughs) Uh, because the first game I was on the draw and my opponent goes once upon a time revealing a Thalia and then playing a Dryad Arbor and I'm like, okay, that's a pretty slow hand. So I go for land, petal, evoke, a grief and I see that in my opponent's hand there is two copies of Thalia. There is one Birds of Paradise, one Noble Herarch. One scavenging goose and one knight's reliquary so i'm like okay you know probably wanted to find another land than the dried arbor so i'm gonna take one of these birds i'm gonna reanimate my grief and take the other mana dork worst case he gets to play a turn to Thalia, but i'm still so way ahead that i can just smash into him and of course he plays a turn to Thalia. that's fine but then he rips his third land to play the knight, and uh, I have been able to discard again, taking the um, scavenging use uh, on 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 the second turn, but it didn't matter because he had the knight live, and then I kept a hand with sort of. Obviously, no turn one Gris brand because I had a turn one Grief instead, and I couldn't come back from that, because his hand just came together. Game two, I just t- do my thing. <laughs> like I, I did the thing a lot of the times this tournament, actually. A lot of the doing the thing escalated pretty, pretty quickly. I think he scooped when I was about to put my third creature on the battlefield, <laughs> and he's like, no, that's fine. We can go to game three. And in game three, opponents on the play, I, I keep a defensive hand, because I'm heavily expecting there to be a ley line coming in. So I keep uh, a slower hand in which I can sort of play things off of show and tell or just hard cast grief and stuff like that. Or indeed reanimate his creatures. And he goes for a turn to Silan Library. And I'm like, okay, cool, that's great. Because I'm gonna have uh I can set up for a turn three really cool reanimate reanimate here. Animate dead based off of sort of casting uh entomb in his end step and so on. Because I saw his hand, there's no endurance in his hand. But then he goes thalia wasteland i'm like oh and i don't come back from that basically so i lose one one two two maverick pretty tight games but again i thought i was gonna win because i was certain i was winning that first game when i took both the mana dorks and he had just a dried armor but
2: yeah sometimes you know <coughs> running lands is is rough most of the times when I draw the running lance, it's really bad for me. But in that situation, when you see a once upon a time get a folly and they play a turn one dryad, you start to feel pretty good, like that's blood in the water. So, okay, picking up a loss, but the, the knight is young. Oh well, this was probably right before lunch. So le- let's get into round two. Robin, you are now up against Maverick. Is this perhaps uh, like Revenge of the Fallen podcast? host
1: yeah actually it is and like when scouting the meta fast realized that there were actually no initiative decks in the in the room quite a lot of delver and two maverick decks which i was obviously most scared of by all the decks in the room because they have a strong wasteland planned they have caracas and they have a lot of removal as well of course i get paired against the same player that played against victor luckily i know what he's uh, what he's up to And I can again lead on discard. He has a pretty bad hand, I should say, against what I'm trying to do. No wasteland in sight. And I get to take Atalia to slow him down a little bit. But uh, when I make a Merit Leech, he has one of these green flash creatures that untaps
2: Scrib Ranger.
1: Yeah he has Scrib Ranger for block Legend In his end step he fetches And looks at the top card and it's a plow And he's like oh no I shouldn't have looked You should never look And then draws a card and it's not a plow
2: (laughs) You never look you never look, friends. Never look.
1: Yeah, and in, it, in in the second game, he has a wasteland, but he's a little bit trigger-happy on the wasteland and tries to take out uh, just an ordinary land from me. And uh, I have a crop rotation. And from there on, I can make the Merit Lage pretty fast. But this time, he has a plow, and I don't have protection. But his hand is... Pretty bad from there on. So I have like 36 life or something like that. And he uh, ships in on my life total with an exalted dried arbor. <laughs> That's his clock. <laughs> get in so there. I get to rebuild. When trying to find, find a new thespian stage and uh, a new depths, I pick up double not of this world. So when I oh. finally make the, the second merit age, <laughs> I'm ready to defend it. And I need it. But first, first he plows it. And on his turn, he lands a knight and a champ blocker. I attack again, he jumps, and then on his turn he fetches up Caracas and tries to bounce it, and I defend it again. I have a ghost quarter in play so I can take care of the Caracas, but like, if you have more interaction, I'm dead. So I go to attacks again, and now he has like an endurance to jump block, but I have a crop rotation to get the step to to make it unblockable. So <laughs> that was super close. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like getting coming back from pretty all in meritlage in the early game and then ripping double protection to to save the meritlage and also a crop
2: to pave the way for him. So it was pretty good. That's one of the things that's so cool with the deck. When you go for it you have all of these different angles to protect your Marit. Sure, it really sucks when they manage to get rid of the first Marit, but from then to... Whenever later in the game you present Morit again, you can almost anticipate the same amount of Stifle or Not of This World or Sejiri Step due to all of the crop rotations and stuff. So, like, I really enjoy a super focused deck, and that's why these faster, like, Rainbow Depths or like just Turbo Depths is my favorite uh, version of the deck. So that's cool. 2-0 against Maverick. That's that's uh, very interesting. Like, like yep. you mentioned, it's a scary matchup for sure.
0: Let's move on to Victor. You played against Cephalid Breakfast. I did, and this is my first time playing a paper game against Cephalid Breakfast. Can you believe it? I can. <laughs> that's how little paper I've played in the last year. So I want to play, not knowing what I'm up against. I keep a discard heavy hand, and I'm rewarded because I get to basically just shred my opponent's hand and pick off his life totals. I think I resolve an arc gun eventually, but that's more academic because he basically has no cards and he's just sort of hellbent. Game two, my opponent assembles combo turn three, swoosh, swoosh, swoosh and uh, had a lay name in play uh, off of uh, turn zero, so uh, not much I can do there. And then in the third game, basically... More or less the same things as in game one happens. I discard my opponent's hand and I resolve an Archon, I think, and just take it from there. Basically picking apart my opponent's combo by having more discard spells to begin with. Super nice guy, as I never played against the deck before he was gracious enough to sort of tell me this is how Mm -hmm. i win (laughs) i'm going to show you now this is how it works and in returning the favor i discussed why i think heavy discard is good in reanimator because my opponent was looking at putting together the deck themselves so um so yeah 2-1 felt pretty good deck worked out pretty well and i was uh, happy I, i went on the heavy discard line in preparing for the for the day
2: yeah that's super cool (laughs) <laughs> they're like, so this is how I win. They play Stoneforge Mystic and get Shuko. And they're like, and <laughs> then I can equip Shuko for free to my Stoneforge Mystic, making it a 2-2. <laughs> or I can wow. uh, equip this Cephalid 30 <laughs> times or 20 yeah. times. <laughs> so
1: do you guys know a secret tick of the Steely Resolve card?
2: That you can say Cephalid and they can't target it with Shuko or the Nomad.
1: Yeah, I was ready for that matchup.
2: (laughs) It's mean-spirited. It's kind of like the old days when Infect was running around a lot more. And they were like, I'm super dead if my opponent connects with Jitte. So they're like, tap out to play Jitte, equip on my creature. And then you vines their creatures. (laughs) So the equip fizzles.
1: Yeah, that's what you need to do. That's all sweet.
2: It's like, I'm just imagining, you know, super slippery fingers and you have this really small jit that just, yeah, it's uh, slippery. <laughs> that's a nice pickup for Victor. We're moving on to round three and Robin, you are up against the another blue, <laughs> blue redna. Who am I talking to black-red reanimator player. Tell us about it.
1: We both know what each other play, I think, here. So I I draw two pretty bad hands, I think, until I find a crop rotation. That's all I can really hope for in this matchup. And he goes for it on turn one, or maybe it was turn two. I think it was turn one with a ritual. Tries to reanimate an Archon, and he has put two reanimation targets in the graveyard with a fateless looting but I crop for the bog, obviously. But from there on, I don't have so much going on. And neither do he. Except that he has still an Entomb. So he can place another Archon in the graveyard. And from there on, we both are in top deck mode. And we are like, just passing the turn forth and back. And like, I, I get some pieces in, but... Not the whole thing. And I play a discard but he doesn't really have... I think I take another ritual so that if he rips something he can't just go off with it. But uh, he's the first one to find real action and manage to reanimate the Archon. And game is over so fast with Archon. Like it, it deals three when it enters yeah. and then it's two swings and, and it's game over.
2: There is one way you can beat it. And it's after the trigger make Marit and block. But then again yeah. this is a reanimator deck. They are drawing all of the extra cards on these triggers. So post-combat reanimate Archon again to kill Marit, like make you sack it, it's just so brutal.
1: Yeah, it's super brutal and also like, the half of the combo is gone because I can't use the Hex Mage, because if it's in play I either need to sack it or use it and if I use it, the Merit Leech dies.
2: Yeah, it's the old Edict problem. The old
1: Edict problem. <laughs> can't, can't help it. So you know, we go into game 2 and game 3 and this is when we start with a little bit of Ley Line Dance. As I said, I have Ley Lines, I have Surgical, I blow the Brighton Flusterstorm. I have quite a lot for this matchup. So in game two, I go down to five cards. So two mulligans. And he, like, when I start mulling, I think he realizes that I'm in business <laughs> with my hands. And he goes all the way down to four. And I think that... That's ambitious. That's ambitious. And I have both a ley line and a surgical in my hand. So I start with a ley line and he's like... ah. Oh. This is going to be hard. And then he pass- we pass the turn a few times and I managed to assemble the-, the combo from there on. On to game three. He knows that I'm, I'm on ley line, obviously. And again, really bad hands for me. So I mull down to five again. And this time he goes all the way down to three. <laughs> and this is where I am a little bit sneaky because the hand that I keep, it's Vampire Hexmage, Depths. Urborg, so that's a turn two Merit Ledge. And then one Petal and a Fluster Storm. <laughs> so I don't have the Ley Line, but I have some wow. sort of protection just to, to make my Merit <laughs> Yeah, but you put sword. the fear in his heart. <laughs> right, and he is obviously anticipating a Ley Line, which I don't have. And I think he mulled maybe to a show-and-tell hand or something like that, which is way too slow against what I'm doing. Good sideboard cards and hard mulliganing paying off. Yeah, that's,
2: that's super cool. I don't know, like, it's really tricky. Maybe this is something Victor is experienced in. You know, when you have seen leyline, a lot of your hands becomes really dysfunctional. Yeah. You don't always have faithless looting hands or stuff like that. So it can be just super tough. So what's your, like, mulligan strategy when you've seen a Ley line in game two?
0: One easy strategy is you take out all of your exhumes because they will never be useful against leyline and you bring in your four copies of show and tell that's the start and then various decks will have additional number of uh, and formats for enchantment destruction i will i can bring in up to another five copies of uh, enchantment killing cards should i want to and then knowing that your opponent wants to lead into leyline you can expect them to mulligan for it. Because if they rely on ley line, they usually don't have much else against your quick starts. And it becomes a mining game. Like once they mulligan once, do they keep a leyline hand? Or when they mulligan twice, do they keep a leyline hand? If they mulligan twice, and usually you, you will be on the play here, you lost uh, the second game. If they mulligan twice, I will keep a hand that sort of partially relies on the reanimation. At least if there's a for example a fateless looting in there because at least the worst case scenario I get to filter some cards. Whereas if my opponent keeps a five lander with Leyline, they will be with four cards in hand. And they those cards might not be perfect because they needed to to find a Leyline and prioritize that. Ergo, I will be having I will have more time to to set up things and, and do powerful stuff that they might not necessarily have protection for or ways to disrupt. But it's a mind game. And I mean, it, as my, but my Maverick opponent in the first round hadn't even put any ley lines in their 75 because they were just like, there is, aren't going to be that many reanimation decks here. Had I known that, I would have gone for turn one kills in all uh, of the games. In game, <laughs> games, games two yeah, and three. So, you know, because then it's just one discard to take care of the endures and you're home, basically. Yeah. So I lost that mind game because I was playing conservatively. I think rightly so. Yeah. But still, I think that
1: if you look at the winning list from the Swedish nationals, he was mostly on endurance as graveyard hit, maybe uh, surgical to complement it. But I don't think he was on ley lines.
2: Mm. When we had the reigning champion in Sweden on the pod, the addition of once upon a time with endurances can really make that good enough plan. The ley line mulliganing is always you end up in the sunk cost fallacy really easy when you're (laughs) mulliganing (laughs) for day line and you just continue, continue. But yeah, it was really good in game three there when you just, I'm going to keep this Petal Urborg, Dark Depth, Hexmage, Flusterman because my opponent is either going to have to have it turn one or I'm going to play Urborg, Petal and have Fluster protection for turn two, which is super good hand.
1: It felt very strong and it would be such a gamble for him to keep like uh, an all-in ritual, make Grizzle Brennan turn one hand against the possible ley line or surgical.
2: So, Victor, in round three, you played against Jeskai Control. Tell us about it.
0: Yeah, this is uh, Robin's opponent from from round one. Game one, I'm looking at my live chart. I go from 20 to 4, and then to 11, and to 4, and to 11, (laughs) (laughs) and to 8, then to 11. And my opponent goes 20, 19, 12. 11, eight, mm. no more notes. So big Grizzled Brand happened here. That Grizzled Brand was plowed, but no worries because there are more Grizzled Brandy stuff coming. And then there is Arkon here and uh, yeah, doing my thing basically. In game two, I was surgicaled and also I think uh, fluster stormed out of the game. I scooped pretty quickly after that because my opponent was just setting up things and wasn't gonna go well for me. In the third game, And this is where things get really interesting. We both I think mulligan quite heavily. I get sort of an upper hand but it's not a fantastic upper hand because this is an upper hand of griefs that have animate dead on them. Pushing through damage but not too much. Both of us are sort of trying to gain advantage setting up things. My opponent is pretty hellbent quite early. Sort of has one card in hand all the time so not hellbent but almost hellbent. I'm sort of drawing lots of lands so of my first Grizzled Brand, sort of seven. I was I saw a land drop, I think, every turn in this game, and it went on for like nine, ten turns. But what happens at one point is that I have the opportunity to show and tell and put an archon in, and I can discard my opponent first, and they have a couple of cards in hand at this point. So I take a look at their hand, and they have Shark Typhoon, Land, counterbalance and something else that's irrelevant for this, perhaps Dragon Rage channel or something. Having playtested just previously, as we discussed in the last episode, I'm super scared of counterbalance. So I quickly put the counterbalance in the bin.
2: But you're show and telling. <laughs> it's yes. a six-man enchantment, Victor.
0: <laughs> I know, I know. And uh, this is why I was hasty about this decision. In, and in what happens then, of course, is that my opponent has a lot of opportunities to draw spells that will feed his sharks and I have no trample. The spells that he will draw will also be plows and stuff that will remove my creatures. My opponent is kept on the back foot for the rest of this game up until the very end. And he has a couple of clutch sort of top decks like the exact right plow and then the force of negation for my faithless looting. But then I'm about to attack with a Grizzlebrand and stabilizing, just gaining life, and my opponent will sort of. I have an inevitability from there if I get to connect, and my opponent's one card in hand that they just draw is dressed down. Ouch. Ouch. That's dark. And in retrospect, of course, it would probably have been better to to take the Shark Typhoon out of their hand. Although, since they have then counterbalance in play and they have so many one-drops and stuff that will stop the rest of what I was doing, I think they would have had a fighting chance with that as well. It would probably have been, have been sort of in the dark from the position where I'm at. Taking the shark typhoon would have been the better decision.
2: Yeah, like they have two turns to find something, right? At that point, since you'll be swinging for nine mm. t- twice. Yeah, so but they
0: brainstormed just before I, I did the discard, so I can expect them to have... Oh yeah, that's
2: that's always scary plow or something on top they had plow on
0: the top as well yeah
2: yeah that's always scary
0: but regardless like i was pretty confident i was going to win that game because my opponent had one card in hand i have creatures going on and then i make a hasty decision and they turn the match
2: nicely done yeah and that dress down to prevent the to prevent the lifelink is brutal just plow me instead yeah that was that was brutal that was
0: hard that was hard
2: round four, uh, Robin you're at the position where you can do some negotiations, right?
1: Right, I'm up against our local elves player he's also 3-0 and and we are at the top of the standings so we uh, try to do some math with both pretty bad at that but we (laughs) (laughs) realize no we don't realize we guess that we are fine by just id'ing from here on so there's no lunch break during this tournament and all that so it's nice to have a little bit of a break and the sun was actually shining outside so we
2: went out for a bit as well so to someone who actually played magic in round four victor you're up against lance tell us about it
0: i am and lance is historically an interesting matchup both of these decks can sort of turn the other one upside down handily. My opponent in the first game they're on the play they basically emptied their hand on board with uh, exploration and mocks and saga and stuff but they have no crop rotation in hand and I go for hello I'm Grizzlebrand because at this point, my, my opponent has one card in hand. I can discard that card, then just go to town and win pretty easily from there. I mean, they have Maze of Ith, but it doesn't matter because I had two creatures when I passed the turn. And they're like, yeah, no, this is this is not happening. It's over. It's over. The Arkham trigger still triggers. And then in the second game, my opponent goes so that they turn to... I discard one of their cards. I can't remember which one it is. My opponent passes the turn with Sphere Resistance and Exploration and a couple of lands in play and a bajuka bog in hand. So they drew the bajuka bog. And I go turn three, serenity, pass turn. And the opponent's like, oh, that's, that's that's rough. That's nasty. That is nasty. I crack the serenity at the start of my fourth turn and then just pass the turn with having put a grisselbrown into play and having hard casted an archon off of three dark rituals. <laughs> <laughs> you savage.
2: Oh,
1: that's man. like a bingo checkbox oh, thing, right?
2: Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's that's bucket list level re- reanimation shenanigans. So I win 2 0 against Lance, which is uh, so a long time ago. I, I beat Lance so uh, thoroughly. I think my opponent was a bit sort of shaken by how things just fell apart. Because, I mean, Lance has a lot of tools against Reanimator, but it just came together perfectly for me, this one, I guess.
2: Yeah, sometimes. You get triple ritualed into Archon, nerd.
0: Yeah. How does it feel? Feels bad, man. (laughs) (laughs) Feels
2: very bad.
0: Like, I wish I had that sphere. Where did it all go?
2: Yeah. Where did it all go
0: wrong? Yeah, so I'm 2-2 and at this point. I'm pretty happy with myself because that was a fun game to to win so thoroughly. When did you, listener, last cast three
2: dark rituals into Archon? Let us know. (laughs) So... uh, we're ending up in the last round of the Swiss, round 5. And Robin, you were really pulling out your Leovold game. You're in the negotiations <laughs> again. Tell us about it.
1: Yeah, this time I'm up against a Delver player. And again, we are deciding not to play it out. And that one point with the draw serves as well. So an- another round of non-magic for me.
2: Yeah, cruise control, sunlight... <laughs> maybe get to eat it's rare at events but victor you were up against
0: esper control yeah conversely to robin i got to play some real fucking magic in round five it was absolutely glorious in the first game i do the thing thing total sort of reanimation domination annihilation yes Game two, my opponent has uh, ley line and things, and they do their thing. I, I'm completely sort of locked out of, of doing anything here. Not a quick scoop, but I quickly realized this is not gonna go anywhere. And then in the third game, my opponent moves to six. I keep a seven, I think, that has a slower hand, it has, it's a discard discard-heavy strategy that can eventually Put me in a show and tell position. So my opponent goes Leyline pregame. I'm okay. I go land. I think I, I just play a cast a grief uh, that get exiled and uh, look at his hand. And they have Force of Will, Baleful Strix, Opposition Agent, Brainstorm, something, Planes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, not something so they put the Leyline to play. So six cards. They have Planes as their only land. And ley line turn zero. So I say okay. I'm gonna take the Force of Will for now let's see what happens you're pretty far away from that strix right now my opponent is that's correct they draw for turn and put their planes into play i'm like okay we have a game <laughs> and then my opponent proceeds to not draw a second land for like four turns so i have time to sort of you know cast mega setup, cast faithless looting but not getting to recurred because of leyland but still sort of digging a bit i think i play like a thought seize or something and they have pushed uh, uh, a second Force of Will into their hands. I'm like, I'm gonna take that one as well because I'm gonna need that to be out of here. Mm -hmm. And then, but I'm also sort of stuck on two mana. I have show and tell, two copies of show and tell and Archon in my hand. I'm like, just give me a fucking land already. Like whenever. I discard again. My opponent basically has nothing. Has an island now, could cast a brainstorm, I think. And then I get my second land. I have a Petal in play. Jam show and tell on the table my opponent has one unknown card in hand and he has his third force win. of course it is and i basically jump off the table uh, of the chair landing on the floor like in like that in was despair. a memorable moment it was because <laughs> we're so um, at, on the edge at this point both of us because this game is such a nail biter like whoever is going to draw something useful first is going to totally win this game so and I'm like, show and tell, Fuck. And he's like, third force of will. I'm like, no, man. And then he plays something sort of slightly relevant. I think he just passes the turn, I'm not doing much. And I draw my third land. So, because I only had two lands and a petal. And I jam the second show and tell. And he's like, it resolves <laughs> and he has no other creature to put into play other than the than the opposition, opposition. agent because he has this he used to the the tricks for the show and tell no, for the for the fossil wheel and i'm like trigger destroy your opposition agent you take three i draw a card and then i like <laughs> sack petal reanimate your opposition agent past turn <sighs> and then he draws a fetch land <laughs> Oh, it's man, so funny
1: when when you're like resolving those spells, you're becoming that bird in
2: that movie. yeah, you're <laughs> the crow. I was gonna your yeah. inner crow is awoken. But man, that sounds so fun when when you get to see that plane's hand, but they still have their best anti-U card in play. And you're both just sitting there like (laughs) slowly going insane. Like top deck, I'm going to shred you some more. And then like the third force of will, like it's just, it's
0: beautiful. Like
2: such a tense game
0: it was my best game in, in a long time uh, best match, it was so much fun and this is the first time I actually get to beat this player in a tournament setting and that was also sort of fun and we had such a good time.
2: I'm so glad that you reanimated their opposition agent, like, do you know that's, that's just like one of the most spiteful things I've heard in such a long time, it makes me happy, warm inside you know, it's mm,
0: beautiful it was amazing, so i'm three three two finishing a uh, twelfth in this tournament, and uh, consider my restiness, I'm pretty happy about that, especially since everything came together so well in the last two rounds yeah and like it's it's
2: been a blast you know i was uh, really curious all day and finally i got some correspondence from uh, victor like uh, some live updates from our man at alpha spiel and it was just so exciting and now when i get to hear the details like yeah i wish i could have seen that (laughs) that floor dive uh, yeah, that was legendary.
1: Like <laughs> I, th- I think that a lot of players had uh, finished their game, so it was a lot of like people sitting around chatting, and like suddenly we all hear from from the table <laughs> a bit, a bit, a bit away, like l- seeing Victor just <laughs> like falling off the chair because of the top deck. It was such a fun moment.
2: Oh man! So uh, the the Swiss is over, and we have a top eight. And it consists of uh, one Death Shadow, two Blue-Red Delver, one Red-Black Painter. And this is with the Chaos Defiler and uh, the Dragon Engine and stuff like that. Mm. We have one Black-Red Reanimator player. And then we have an 8-Cast player. So someone managed to survive Meltdowns all day. Yes. <laughs> we have our Rainbow Depths or Depths, Turbo Depths player. Uh, yours truly, Robin. And then we have an... Well, Orcs deck, or uh, right. Elf, or Cradle Control, the themed Artisan Elves. So, in the quarterfinals, you are seeded very good in this tournament, going into yep. top 8.
1: I'm in the first seed. That pairs me up against the 8-cost player. I have a a, a pretty fast Merit ledge. I think it's turn 2 or turn 3, and I have a discard. And I look at his hand... And I see that he has an Ursa Saga. I'm on the play obviously, since I'm seeded first. And that is so good in, in with this deck and all, in all of those matchups. So I make a little bit of calculations. I know that he can fetch a Needle. He can fetch a Spellbomb uh, with his Ursa Saga. Because I'm, I'm I'm 100% sure that he's on the stock list from the online meta. I have a Protection Spell. I have not of this word. So I can beat one of these. But I can't beat the Force Will on top of that so I think that he... I need to stop sort of his engine. So I'll take his Emery. Then from there on the game plays out exactly as I draw it. So to say. I make a Merit Age And he fetches Spellbomb. And tries to bounce it. And I play my... French, not of this world. <laughs> and he's like, what does it say? <laughs> 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 no, like, well, it, it counters an activated ability as well. <laughs> so we get a judge call for that. Meritage survives, spellbomb, fizzles, and... Uh, uh, no, not fizzles, it's countered. And Lage gets to attack for 20. And then in uh, game two, he starts with the needle on stage. I have a hex mage in hand, so that's fine by me. I don't, I don't think he saw Hexmage in game one and I'm not really sure that he is familiar with this deck. Then on his second turn he plays a Saga and he has an artifact land in hand so I take this opportunity to force a vigor the Saga with the trigger on the stack and grab the land with it because he has an Emery in play and like all of the other artifacts they will just come back but this is a pretty good target and that uh, sets him a little bit behind of course uh, when he's behind on mana but he he of course gets a, a draw trigger from an bauble with his emery each turn and, and draws a lot of cards and he gets to force a will my hexmage and then he lands two monitors and a kappa so he's building up resources pretty fast that's when i managed to re- uh, assemble the merit Lich. he don't have any bounce luckily because I don't think I have protection from that, but I have a crop rotation uh, for steps so that I can make Merit Leach unblockable for his uh, thought monitors that are on defense. So uh, a, li- a little bit nerve wrecking in the end there because he was on a quite fast clock, but managed to make it 2-0 against 8-cast.
2: Yeah, that's always one of the scariest things when you're playing against 8 when they can resolve their first thought monitor quite cheaply. It just, uh, a lot of times, it just goes really quickly outwards from there. But yeah, that sounds really nice. And uh, <laughs> what's up with the French not of this world? I think that I ordered them on
1: card market and didn't notice that they weren't English. And then I got them home and were like, ugh. And then went into the website and saw that it was my mistake, not the, the seller's mistake.
2: Yeah, but there are, you know, there are always, I I have like my favorite Grizzle brand that I have at home. I have some copies, but my favorite one is my French one. Uh, Mm. I bought one on French on purpose because I wanted to to be, you know, extra saucy with it. Grizzle that? uh, Yeah, like, uh, (laughs) paillet paillet paillette, se vi, eat a baguette, (laughs) (laughs) vol. (laughs) <laughs> Vol. That means that you are off to the semifinals where you are facing blue-red Delver.
1: Right, so this is the first Delver opponent. The other Delver opponent is playing against elves in the other semifinals. In game one, I get to play Urborg, Depths and uh, Hexmage on turn two. He dazes it, but I have a follow-up Hexmage on the next turn and he has no more counter-magic. I make Merit Leach, and he doesn't have any bounce. And I later realize, uh, hear from him that he doesn't run bounce in the 75 anymore. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and I think like that is a little bit what I was hoping and maybe not expecting in a paper meta, but definitely in the online meta, where like, Merit Leach decks has almost van- vanished completely because of... Initiative being so good against them.
2: Yeah, it doesn't feel as great to bounce a creature where the ETB trigger is like the damage. <laughs>
1: exactly. It, it, it's the namesake of the, of the, of the deck. So in game two, I'm a little bit unlucky. I draw two, no, I draw three pretty bad hands. So I'm down to four, which is a keepable Petal Petal Hexmage Depths. <laughs> it's super all in. But he has a dace. he has Wasteland, and he has Surgical. So, like, that game is super over. (laughs) (laughs) What's the worst that could happen? And he literally
2: (laughs) demonstrates this.
1: This. I I think that game was only, like, two turns or something like that. Yeah,
0: half a turn. Yeah, there is no comeback from that.
1: But on the final game, I'm on the play, which is super good. I have a land-heavy hand. It's not the fastest, but uh, pretty solid, I think. He has... A lot more counter magic than I managed to play through, and uh, a crucial crop rotation becomes countered. I think he double dazes it. And from there on, I I sort of flood out a little bit. I don't draw any action, and he gets to land a murktide to beat me up in a, a few turns so a little bit uh, infuriating in the final game that you like don't draw these massively good hands that I've been drawing all day and just like uh, the deck sort of collapsing and not doing its thing
2: yeah yeah that's <clears throat> that's super rough but still like such a cool showing getting third at this tournament it's uh, definitely an achievement and you know to put some bandage on that wound, the player ended up winning the whole tournament. The blue-red Delver beat the Cradle Control Elf stack in the finals.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's he's uh, he's one of the better players at LGS, I should say, and he's he's very talented with Delver. And he actually plays Delverless, I think. He plays uh, Mercurial Spellbinder in his uh, in that. Slot.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at the list now. He he actually plays two Delvers of Secrets. Uh, but he he has two playsets of the best creatures in the deck, uh, four DRC, four Merktide. But then he is playing free Mercurial Spell Dancer, and I think that's really cool to see. Uh, I think it's a card that we can ex- definitely explore a lot more. It sounds super nasty if you get to connect with it a bit and then cast one iteration. It's uh crazy
1: yeah i saw him do that and like one thing that i haven't been thinking about about that card is like when you get two counters on it you remove them and and your attack and then you play your next spell you get to copy it but you also put the counter yeah since you cast a new spell so it's almost already ready for the next yeah for the next uh, fork so it's
2: very close it's very close it's not a an arcanist but what it does instead is just keeps that train going like making all of your iterations or ponders better a lot of these decks has also been starting to put a lot of uh, you know snuff outs in their decks and i've mm. seen nasty screenshots of this attacking and it can't be blocked right no it's unblockable yeah, so that is so also
1: like very strong yes yeah, so
2: it's it's unblockable and i saw this picture of it like someone attacking with this fruit two initiative creatures now with a trigger like yeah I want to remove two oil counters and then snuffed out both of the opponent's initiative creatures while also taking the initiative mm. like that is so mm. nasty like good luck recovering from that. what a swing. So yeah I am super happy to hear that you had a good day like third place and free two it's definitely good we take those. I'm very proud of the of the podcast representation
1: absolutely. It was really nice.
0: It is our 80th episode and we, as said on top of the show, want to pay homage to Jorion Sky Nomad before we close out today. This is a card that came, made a big splash, established itself as a strong card, Opposed the changes to the companion mechanic. But where is the bird serpent now? Christopher, you have thoughts. Yeah, the noodle.
2: It's kind of crazy because this is one of the cards that when the companion... uh, Oracle changed like the rules for a companion that you had to pay free to get it to your hand and stuff like that When all was said and done the decks that wanted to play Yorion In their deck. This wasn't really an issue for we started seeing like The the other like sure Lurus and Cerda they got banned (laughs) So of course those decks fell off the radar, but there was still like Yorion decks hanging in there like we have seen Yuri on taxes but that deck is almost completely pushed out of the meta due to some other white deck. Then we have seen, you know, those four-color C-nif decks. We have seen Yurion Alluran, Cephalid Breakfast, a lot of Yurion decks that more and more are cutting these noodles from their sideboard as their companion, and this is just such a strong proof to the speed increase of the format that comes with initiative. If you look at a lot of 60-card Cephalid Breakfast lists running around now, I've seen a lot of them not even playing the Cauldra in the deck. They play Stoneforge just to get Shuko, so they can combo faster. Death and Taxes has fallen off, so like that's one other deck that just can't really afford they can't race with the power of uh, the initiative and they can't really afford to play one of those slower games either because it's not fast or consistent enough to keep up with, uh, with the meta because everything is ad- every deck is adjusting to beat this fast deck and you do that a lot of times by trying to be fast as well. It was super funny, like, I pitched this, I don't know, like, a long time ago, like, yeah, episode eighty. Boys, let's do it. Let's talk about Yurian. And now we're here, and I'm sort of like, where has all the flowers gone? <laughs> yeah. This is not a dead card, but it's pretty whack in the meta. I'll say that. What are your takes? I agreed. Yeah, they're just shaking their head. <laughs> I guess...
0: I guess, like, these
2: noodles are overcooked. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, uh, being a player who who have played Noodle when I still played on Taxes, so this is a while ago when the card was fairly new, it's like, it's a good card. And it was sort of, it was good in, in various iterations. And I just think that the relative absence of it reflects that many other good cards have come around and they were just even better. That sort of, you have the sort of the best cards that that come out make re- other recent good cards way less relevant quickly. Like we have, I mean, people keep sort of saying, oh, ever since War of the Spark, yada, yada, yada. But like so many cards that we previously were stapled from War of the Spark, we don't play with anymore. Where's Narset? I mean, where is Narset? Where, where is Marcus the Lattice? I mean, there's so many of these cards that sort of, the Lattice isn't new in itself, of course, but the the, the combo with its Karn and stuff. So these new cards keep replacing themselves as well which I think is interesting and we talked about that a couple of episodes ago that it seems as if the best decks get also the best cards meaning that the tier 1.5 decks become tier 2 tier tier 2.5 decks instead and i guess yorion is sort of on the wrong side of that fence even though being quite close to the fence
1: i think that yorion will come back if the meta becomes grind again. Like, if you really want to put a lot of two-for-ones in your deck there is no better companion. I mean, you you want to play a companion if I have the 8th card because the game will drag out so long that the 8th card will be relevant and you want your 8th card, obviously, to generate even more value with all your coming to play effects. So I think that card has a potential to coming back, but as it is right now, you just need to be super lean and super fast with your deck. And, like, the 8th card doesn't matter. It's pitch to force, fodder pitch to solitude even more, perhaps.
2: Yeah, if you get to free mana... <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding.
1: Right, right. If you even get to three mana, you can. I mean, you get to three mana because you have to play like petals in your control deck. (laughs) Yeah, that's whack.
2: But like, if we look at how the meta has looked from the start of this year, 33% of the total meta has been blue-red and initiative combined. This might come as a shock to you, but the two most popular and played combo decks are Painter at number one. In 2023. And Cephalid Breakfast at number two. These are the two yep. most played. Or well, well, well placed combo decks. Which also. What do those deck have in common? They can play a plan B. And they have al- almost adapted their Plan B to become their Plan A. Painter is not a mill deck anymore. It can just do that out of necessity.
1: I mean, it, it can <laughs> do that against the very fast matchups where it need to be fast.
2: Yeah, like necessity, like when it exactly? Has
1: and because both of those decks are also decks that is a A plus B combo that is like one or two mana. So it can be super fast when it needs to, but it can also grind a little bit against the fair decks.
2: Yeah, exactly. These are things that are very hard for an ED card deck trying to put, you know, abundant growths or yeah. <laughs> stuff like that in their deck. When your opponent yeah. can go like, turn one chalice, turn two uncountable orc initiative like white plume adventure or just here's a turn one DRC and you know it's uh, the meta is is changing a lot and we'll see if the if the noodle has the broth to bring it back in the future. But right now it's looking like it's pretty dry freeze uh instant ramen package. It looks cheap and it might not be the time and place for it.
0: No, I mean just look at sort of how this weekend turned out in other respects. Sort of where was Uro these days? Like <laughs> Again, like these cards that have been massively mainstays recently are just sort of, I don't see them anymore. And that is all we have for this week, folks. If you have an 80 card or larger size experience recently, you can share that in our Discord and we'll look at that. You can find a link to our Discord in this episode description. And in addition to Discord, you can hit us up on Twitter at SDHLM Legacy if you want to. Also, you can find us personally on some social media. Robin, where are you cooking your noodles?
1: You can cook me noodles on Twitter at jacka underscore boo.
2: And uh, you can contact me on Twitter as well at ManolifMTG. But don't at me with uh, sizes. (laughs) I just want to clarify that. Victor made a very funky size remark. Don't at me with those.
0: And you can exhume my gristle brands with your chopsticks at disco drogo and that is the end of the 80th episode of stockholm legacy report thank you robinson scene and christopher wikstrom i am victor Bernhards. special thanks to you for listening the great frönes has as always written the music if you want to you can find more of their work on spotify until our next episode keep your successful plays and throw away your punts